Hi there and welcome to La Terras. I'm Christopher Watkin, author, university lecturer and researcher in modern and contemporary European philosophy. And this is The Gas from La Terras, your open invitation to pull up a chair, order your favourite drink and think together with me about life, and culture and French philosophy. This episode is an audio version of a blog post that I wrote on the 11th of April this year, the sixth in a series of reflections about how the current COVID-19 pandemic can be understood in the light of Albert Camus' The Plague, which I've been rereading over the past weeks. The post is called An Easter Meditation on the very idea of having something to say about COVID-19. I hope you enjoy it. I've come across an impressive amount of self-styled insight in the past few days. What the world will look like after the virus, how we should reshape it, uh, what an opportunity this is, how things will never be the same again, and so on and so on. And I'm grateful for the viewpoints that these opinion pieces offer, for the triangulation of the, the, the two-dimensional axis running between my personal experience and the news media. Uh, the triangulation of this with a perspective that seeks to reach beyond the present to envisage what might come next. But I also wonder, I, I wonder how all these writers know what's around the corner and why they're telling the rest of us about it right now. I wonder about all these lines being drawn between the enemies of the future and those who will inherit the post-COVID world, between the we who understand what needs to change and the they who stand in the way of that change. Is this sort of post-COVID prophecy a case of intellectual profiteering, as, as some have accused it of being? Is it the discursive equivalent of looting? Now, let's not hasten to a response. Let's not answer with a simple yes or no. Uh, there are always mixed motives, are there not, in our actions? And it would be as hasty to dismiss all talk of self-serving reasons behind this writing as it would be to make such reasons the exhaustive explanation of the current rage for post-COVID prophecies and predictions. I've also been revisiting the Christian passion narratives over the past few days, and one feature that struck me on Friday evening, prompted no doubt by its juxtaposition in my mind with the current spate of post-Covid predictions, was Christ's sense of when to speak of the future, casting grand visions of a fairer and transformed society, and when to remain silent. Uh, his sense of when weeping was the best response to a situation, something he does on three different occasions in the Gospels. And, and his sense of needing to withdraw from crowds, desperate for his words of wisdom, in order to pray. Jesus' journey to the cross marks the end of his teaching ministry and a moment when action takes centre stage. John's gospel is the most explicit in this regard. Christ knows when, quote, the time has come, John 12, 23 to enter Jerusalem and to go to his death. He's in control of the timing. He chooses when to stop preaching to the crowds and to walk into the lion's den, when to hand himself over. 
He's remarkably taciturn throughout what passes for his trial, only confirming Pilate's question, are you the Christ? With the most ambiguous of his sponsors, you have said so. The reason that we have Good Friday at all is because Christ knew when to stop speaking to the expectant and enthusiastic crowds and when to, as the French put it, passer à l'acte. Now, please forgive this Gallicism. The French passer à l'acte expresses something that eludes the English formula to take action. It, it captures the idea that there's a moment when it behooves us to move beyond word to deed. Camus understands this chirotic imperative in La Peste, uh, tracing the limits of language in relation to the worst horrors of the plague. After the Jesuit Panelou's first sermon, for example, an eloquent and sensitive allocution that stresses the mysteries of divine action and hints at the plague as a punishment for sin, we read these lines about Tarou's response to the stirring disquisition. La prêche de Panelou était aussi rapportée, mais avec le commentaire suivant. Je comprends cette sympathique ardeur. Au commencement, des fléaux et lorsqu'ils sont terminés, on fait toujours un peu de rhétorique. Dans le premier cas, l'habitude n'est pas encore perdue, et dans le second, elle est déjà revenue. C'est au moment du malheur qu'on s'habitue à la vérité, c'est-à-dire au silence. Translated, Taru has some comments on the sermon preached by Panelou. I can understand that type of fervour and, and do not find it displeasing. At the beginning of a pestilence and when it ends, there's always a propensity for rhetoric. In the first case, habits have not yet been lost. In the second, they're returning. It is in the thick of calamity that one gets hardened to the truth. In other words, to silence. So let's wait. Ever since David Jack drew my attention to this passage in a comment on a, a previous post, I've been drawn to this equation of truth with silence. There's something of the Job's comforter about one who always seeks to fill the silence of grief with words of wisdom. There is a time in the progress of a plague when words show themselves to be fools and the truth is found in silence. My four-year-old is beginning at the moment to learn music. Uh, in his class, there's a sound that the children make for arrest in the score. It sounds something like, sa. A score without any sars is, is cluttered. It's arrhythmical. It's a cacophony. Uh, as is a life of endless prophecy and endless wisdom, with no silence, with no action. Uh, Jesus could preach as good a sermon as anyone, but he also knew when to withdraw, when to remain silent, when to weep, and when to passe à l'acte and die on the cross. Now, perhaps some people might be thinking at this point, the physician, heal thyself. Uh, is this exploration of language, silence and action, this blog post, this podcast episode, just itself one more attempt to claim that the writer has seen something that others have missed? Well, I hold up my hands. Undoubtedly, there is something of that in it. Uh, 
does it fall into the trap that it urges others to avoid? Yes, inevitably, it does. It is like all the prophetic opinion pieces circulating at the moment, drawing its own little line that divides those who quote-unquote get it from those who don't, uh, divides friends from enemies. It's composed with an amalgam of civic and selfish motives. Isn't that the inevitable knife edge on which we all write, and for which there is no known remedy? It is perhaps a dilemma that can't be resolved in words, only with actions. The logic of line drawing that characterises comment on COVID-19 and beyond creates friends and enemies. It creates good guys and bad guys, even if the bad guys are those who divide the world into good guys and bad guys, and the good guys are those who don't. But the cross disrupts and subverts this comfortable logic of us and them that, that governs so much academic writing. Christ died for his enemies, for those on the other side of his line. And this is what is missing from Maria's revulsion at a God who would let the plague occur. The questions for all of us who presume to have something to say about COVID-19 are, where do our words find their limit? When do we, when should we stop writing and remain silent? When should we lay down our pens and act? These are not questions with which to beat others over the head, but for each of us to ask of ourselves. Does Christianity indeed have something to say about the current pandemic? It's a question that's been raised in some prominent news outlets recently. Well, surely it does. But framing the question in terms of, quote, unquote, having something to say, brutally narrows the scope of any possible response. One thing that the Easter season shows us is that a Christianity does not meet tragedy only with words and ideas about a God who remains remote. It meets tragedy with a person and with actions, with a God who came close, who suffered, who died, who rose again to puncture an opening of resurrection hope in the claustrophobic cell of human suffering. It was an action that these words are far too inadequate to express. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Gas from La Terrasse. You can head over to iTunes, Google Play or Spotify to subscribe or rate or leave a review. You can also find more content related to my research, writing and blogging over at ChristopherWatkin.com. Until next time, take care.